We are asked over and over again, how do you find the right phone numbers for the properties you're trying to buy? It is pretty simple. You skip trace the owner and property address. What does that mean? What does skip trace mean? It means you go and find the contact information of the owner of a property. But you don't want to do that one time. Real estate is a numbers game and a people business. You need to work a lot of leads to find motivated sellers. We use an awesome skip trace service that you can upload a giant list of names and addresses all at once, and a few minutes later, you have a ton of phone numbers for prospecting. Visit www.dpipodcast.com forward slash skip trace. Welcome back to season two of the Discount Property Investor Podcast. Our mission is to share with you what we have learned from our experience and the experience of others to help you make more money investing like a pro. We want to teach you how to create wealth by investing in real estate the Discount Property Investor way. Make sure you never miss an episode and download the Discount Property Investor app in Google Play or iTunes today. To jumpstart your real estate investing career, visit FreeWholesaleCourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. I am your host, David Dodge. Today, I am joined by fellow investor, Tim Bratz. I have been following Tim on social media for the past several months. So I am very, very excited about this episode today, guys. Tim is doing big things. When I look at what I'm doing, I feel like I'm do I've done a lot and I feel like I'm doing a lot, but when I hear and talk to Tim about some of the things he's doing, it is, it is truly amazing. So Tim, welcome to the show and thank you for coming on. How are you today? Dude, doing awesome. David, excited to be here, man. Appreciate you and all the value you provide. So I'm, uh, I'm pumped to be here. Hell yeah. Awesome. 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 So the reason that I was intrigued with Tim to begin with is he's a multifamily investor. I'd imagine that you do a lot of syndicating. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. In, a, in a different capacity. I don't do the traditional old school method. Mine's a little okay. bit different um, model. We can get into that if you want to later. Sure. Sure. But anyway, Tim has a portfolio of properties worth over $250 million. Is that correct? That is. That is awesome. A little, so little over 3,200 units and um, uh, I got another 600 under contract closing in the next 60 days. So by the end of the year, we'll be about $300 million. Holy wow. I'm, I'm selling some <laughs> stuff off too, but. Uh, yeah, over, no, but that's uh, we'll that's balance awesome. out right around 300 million. Absolutely. So again, guys, let's, let's, let's welcome Tim. He, um, he is doing big things. He's, I would imagine, um, specifically in the multifamily space. Do you do any type of commercial in terms of like strip malls or anything like that too? Or is it all single or all multifamily housing? 95% of my portfolio is multifamily. I have about the other 5%. I have a little bit in office and a little bit of uh, self-storage as well. Okay. But it's, single families. It's minimal. It, it's, it's the wholesale deals that you talk about all the time, right? If it's like just so stupid of a deal, I couldn't possibly screw this thing up. I'll, I'll get into other asset classes, but me, I'm, I'm very focused on a, on a single thing, on a single activity, on a single asset class. I see a lot of people get involved in real estate and thinking, oh, I'm involved in all sorts of real estate because uh, that's my focus. I'm like, dude, real estate's not a focus. Real estate's an entire industry, right? You need to boil right. this down to a certain type of real estate. 
and really focus on that. And so uh, my certain type of real estate is apartment buildings, um, mostly in the Midwest, South and Southeast portions of the United States, A and B class areas, um, but value added. So they may be distressed physically, distressed managerially, and um, 100 units or bigger, uh, but it's in a good school district, safe location, good economic anchors in the area. Um, and we come in, we fix it all up physically, um, and we're, like we're into it the same way that a lot of residential investors are in, all in for 65 cents of the after repair value, right? It's just different words in commercial real estate. So they call it stabilized value instead. So, and, and you're just adding a few zeros. So instead so, of an after repair value, it's just a stabilized value, but it's it. still after repairs typically, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's the same uh, thing. Always. It's just a different verbiage. So guys, yeah. I love this. This is great. So Tim, couple nuggets that you've dropped on us already. Real estate is massive. There's so many different ways that you can go. I, at this point in time, um, have my focus on single families and small multis. Tim is 100 plus units. And that's okay that we're different, but the fact that we both have high level of laser focus on each, I think is very important. So that was a really good nugget, Tim. If you guys are listening or you're watching this particular episode, take that as, you know, some, some advice from two guys that have been doing this a long time, you know, try not to bounce around, pick mm -hmm. something that you want to go with and give it your all. So that's awesome. Next, you had mentioned that it's very similar to the single family game in that we are buying at a discount. And in order for the strategies that I use, which is typically the burst strategy to acquire my rental properties, same strategy that Tim uses in mm -hmm. a lot of his deals, um, you're buying at a discount. So you have to buy your properties at a discount. We all know that you get paid when you sell your buildings or your properties, but you make your money when you buy. So mm -hmm. you got to buy at a discount. So Tim, you had mentioned that you're in the Midwest, South to Southeast. You are buying A to B class properties. Areas. In areas. good areas. But the, you know, just like so that, that, that's my question. People look for the ugliest house in the best street. I look for the ugliest building in the best neighborhood. Okay. Very similar. So we do that as well. So you are looking, so you're in A and B class areas, but you're essentially looking for a building that's Kind of like um, the diamond C in the or D rough. rating building, right? Right. A C or D rated building. However, it has the potential to be a B or even an A after improvements because mm -hmm. typically now, now what would be the, let's back up for a second. What would be the causes that you'd have an area that's A or B, but you have a building that's C or D? What would be some of the motivations or the reasons that the building would get to that point? Yeah. Great, great question. And what I will say is a lot of real estate investors are very intimidated by commercial, right? They're very intimidated by the apartments and the bigger stuff. And there's no reason to be. It's the exact same play as in the residential, just with different verbiage, which we kind of hit on a little bit earlier. So the way that I find deals is the same way that I found deals when I used to wholesale. I come from the residential realm. I was in residential for, you know, eight years. Uh, I overlap for a couple of years and I've been focused exclusively on apartments for the past two years. Um, but I come from the residential world and I think at a third grade level, dude, I'm from a B class neighborhood outside of Cleveland, Ohio, right? Like I, I, uh, if it's not simple, dude, it's too complicated, too complex for me and I just don't do it. And so when I got from residential and I started getting into commercial, I just took the same strategies that I used to find deals on the residential side. So I did the direct mail. I did the driving for dollars, just like there's houses with 
tall grass and boarded up windows. There's buildings with tall grass and boarded up windows. There I is. called for sale by owners. I called for rent by owners. Hey, I'm not interested in, in renting your property. I'm interested in buying it. Do you have any interest in selling? Dude, we do that. Yep. It's the same stuff, the right? Same stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. you see the, the RVMs are real big right now. Ringless voicemail and the text message blasts and um, direct mail and, and postcards and all that bandit signs, all that kind of stuff. Social media, um, building up a database and, and doing email drips, all those kinds of things are the things that we still use today to find deals in the apartment realm. So to go back to your original question, though, is like, what are the motivations a lot of times that I see is, they usually fall in one of three categories. One, it's an estate sale, some sort of probate deal. The kids inherited it. They want nothing to do with running dad's or or mom's uh, real estate portfolio. They just want to liquidate, take their money and go and buy a bunch of dudes. I'm going to interrupt for a second, Tim. Now, when that happens, I I would assume, you know, that's probably not happening every day, but it's, I would imagine it's, you know, happening quite often. Do they typically list that with a broker agent or? Many times they do. Okay. Many times they do, or, or they'll talk to their attorney or they'll talk to an estate, uh, like a probate attorney, or they'll talk to their CPA and then there's a referral made there. And so I've had some there. conversations there, but, but usually, you probably do some of your marketing towards those people that get those pocket listings essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. I, so and we do so that too. Here's, here's the thing about with real estate agents and commercial real estate. A lot of the, the gurus out there teach you to go out and you know build broker relationships. The thing sure. is, is, a new real estate investor into apartments is not gonna get those pocket listings, right? Like, like there's not many big investors out in the, like it's a very small community once you get to a certain level. And there's mm-hmm. you know top 10, 15, 20 buyers in any given city who are buying all the apartment buildings. And the brokers who are actually doing deals in those communities, they know who the top they know those buyers guys. are. Right. And so, and you think about it from this perspective is in residential, a real estate agent gets a listing. There's a lot of red tape, and a lot of regulation in residential real estate to protect, um, you know, the little old lady who inherited a house from her husband who just passed away and never really handled the, the family finances. Right. And we don't want any big, bad realtor or real estate investor to take advantage of that, of that person. Um, so there's a lot of maybe unsophisticated, landowners that fall into that circumstance in residential real estate. In commercial real estate, it's assumed that you're there because you're a sophisticated investor. You're buying because you're buying for investment purposes. So you don't have all the red tape. So in residential, when a real estate agent gets a listing, they got to list it within 72 hours because that's the typical law in any given MLS district, right? Um, in and, and did you hear estate, that they're getting, I'm going to interrupt for a second. Did you hear that they're trying to get away with the coming soons? Are they? They're trying to get away with it completely, which I think is just BS, but whatever, beside yeah. the point. Yeah, yeah. I, do. I mean, th- there's a lot of that going on in the residential. In the commercial, there's none of that, right? It's yeah. just like, hey, you're a big boy, you're a big girl, go out and do deals. Um, and you should know better, right, if you, get, if you get had. So what happens is, like, you'll give a listing to a broker. I've done this. I've given listings to brokers. And I'm like, dude, how come it's not on LoopNet? How come it's not on the MLS? Where is it? They keep it as a pocket listing. And they'll shop it for 30 days because there's no timeline associated with it because they want to earn both sides of the commission. They don't want to broke, right? So they'll try to shop it and, and you don't see a lot of things hit the market until after the top 20 t- uh, um, buyers in town all said no to that. Already deal. saw it, right? Yeah, they already saw it. They yeah. all said no to it. And if it was a good deal, it would have gotten bought. So when it hits the market, chances are it's because it's a crappy deal, right? So right. don't go build broker relationships until you get to a level that's, where now you're one of the that's top a buyers great, in town. Great piece of advice, Tim. Great so, piece of advice. So, you so are you getting a lot of your deals at this point? 
Yeah, so, no, that makes sense. So are you, are you, so you've been doing this a couple of years, you know, primarily, obviously longer than that in real estate. Um, what percentage of your deals come directly from the off market motivated seller versus the brokers about half at this point? It, yeah. I'm, I mean, dude, I've, I've gotten a relationship. Like I'm, I am one of the bigger buyers. Like I'm probably one of the top five buyers in all of Georgia. So, sure. um, I, I get a lot of broker relationships in markets that I've been in for a while. And then in new markets, it's usually off market, direct to seller, or, you know, I meet somebody who's an awesome wholesaler like you, who's like, Hey man, I got this deal in Dallas. I got this deal in, you know, uh, um, Louisiana, wh whatever it is. And you send it over because it's, it's something that maybe you're not that familiar with. You send it over to me, my team we will underwrite it. If it makes sense, we'll either pay you a wholesale fee or give you some equity in the deal. Right? So now yes. it's a way that wholesalers, even on the residential side can get involved in projects on the commercial side, whether that be actively passively, because what I found is a lot of residential wholesalers, a lot of residential investors come across apartment deals and commercial deals. They just don't know how to underwrite them. They don't know what to do with them. So they just discard them. So I've built a reputation on telling everybody that I buy apartment buildings. So whenever there's an apartment building that comes across their desk, they don't throw it away now. Now they send it over to my team. If my team can make a deal happen. You know, we fulfill that. We'll pay them a fee. And um, the cool thing about a wholesale fee on apartment buildings is we're talking about tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for a single deal, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or getting some equity in it and really building that long-term wealth that way. So... Um, yeah, man. I mean, there's, there's motivated sellers just like in a lot of things. What I found a lot of the motivated sellers in the, re in the commercial realm come from are, you know, the probate stuff. Two is, you know, it's, it was a mom and pop, uh, bought the building a long time ago. They actually ran it. They lived off of the cash flow, sucked every dime out of the property, never reinvested anything back into it. And dude, you do that for 30 years. Guess what? The yeah. Plumbing goes, the mechanicals go, the roof goes, the windows go, the parking lot goes, and they don't have any money and they don't, they're not bankable enough to get a loan to go and make those improvements. And they, they painted themselves into a corner. So their only option is to sell the property. Uh, so right. that's number two. And then number three is smart entrepreneurs, dude. And this is probably who I buy most of my properties from smart multi-millionaire entrepreneurs who made money in some other industry and then thought, Oh, I could just passively invest in apartments and they go and throw money down on an apartment building without having a joint venture partner who knows what the hell they're doing without ha knowing how to they miss, they manage just mismanage it. Right. Dude. And they, they just get taken. They get taken because there's a lot of scumbags out there. Right. And so um, they don't have a local partner, local boots on the ground, anything like that. And then they just, they dude they take their eye off the ball in their primary business and then they're trying to keep this thing afloat over here and they realize I'm going to lose out on my millions of dollars of, of uh, income for my primary business. Let me just dump this piece of property. Yeah, Let me just get rid of business. it. Cause it's not even, it's not even so much about the money. Most of the time at that point, it's about the, it's about the focus. The they focus, have to focus the their time, time and energy on losing their main business. And this is pulling them from all different angles. Yes. I'm in the process of downsizing some of my business ventures right now because yep taken away from the focus on what really matters. Yeah. Yep. So that's, that's where it, I buy man. a lot of properties from, man. I love it. So guys, take, take that as a lesson here. If you are, you know, getting into this, to this industry and you're new to it, um, you know, building some relationships with brokers is obviously going to be beneficial to you, but, but a lot of these deals are going to come off market. So learn mm -hmm. how to get good at marketing. If you don't know how to market to motivated sellers, guess what? We have a free course, freewholesalecourse.com teaches you lots of ways to market to these motivated sellers. So Tim, love it. love it. All right. So now that you've marketed to your motivated sellers 
or you found it through, you know, a broker, but let's assume that you did it through, you know, marketing to your motivated seller. What does the process look like? So when I go out and I buy a property, um, I use um, a simple formula. It's an MAO formula. Start with ARV, multiply it by a discount rate, which is going to obviously vary about uh, crime, uh, school district, location, so on and so forth. And then we subtract out our repairs. And if we're wholesaling, we'll add a fee in there as well. Are you using a similar formula? And what does the underwriting process look like after that deal comes in? Same thing. We do the same exact thing. The only difference is how the property is valued. In residential, you're looking at the houses down the block, what they've all sold for in the past six months and what you think this property is going to be worth once it's renovated, right? So it's more of a comparable sales or a comparable valuation method. In commercial real estate, Properties are 100% based on the, the income approach, meaning how much income does the property generate? You take your total income minus the total expenses equals your net operating income. And then depending on which market you're in, there's a multiplier. It's called a cap rate. It's essentially like a return on investment is what cap rate is. So if you're in a first tier market, your cap rate's probably four, four and a half, five percent in a San Diego, in a Miami, in a New York, or Boston, those kinds of areas. If you're in a second tier market like uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and you know, metro Atlanta area, you might be at closer to like a six and a half or six or seven percent cap rate. And then if you're in a third tier market, you're probably at six and a half, seven, seven and a half percent cap rate. Um, and the, as a cap rate goes higher, that means the value comes down a little bit. Um, if the cap rate's lower, the value is, is higher. It's an inverse relationship. So, right. so all, whatever you you're buying, are you looking for high cap rates or low cap rates? When I'm, when I don't really, I, like it's like residential. You don't care what the property's worth right now. You care about what it's worth after it's fixed up. Absolutely. Right? Okay. That, I'm That's the number that I'm looking for. Okay. So a lot good. of people are like, oh, I'm not going to buy it at that cap rate. I'm not, because but well. Because that's kind yeah, of irrelevant though. Because you, you're not totally just irrelevant. buying it to sit on it. You're buying it to rehab it, do renovate it, increase rents, get higher occupancy, do all those things that add the value. So therefore, as you mentioned earlier, it's not so much an ARV. It's more of a, what is the, what would you call it? The established or? The, the income approach. No, no. You said something about. Oh, the stabilized uh, value. There it is. The stabilized value. So the ARV is really going to be similar to a stabilized value, which has a lot to do with what you plan to do to that property, which might, might be a couple things. So let's talk about that real quick. It could be renovating the units, upgrading and updating those units, um, increasing rents and or increasing occupancy. So decreasing mm -hmm. the vacancy. What am mm -hmm. I missing? What am I leaving out? So there's, there's two ways to increase the net operating income. That's, that's the main thing you want to do. And one is to increase the income and two is to decrease the expenses, right? Okay. So how many different well, ideally, ways? Ideally in a perfect world, you want to do both. Both. Absolutely. Then you make even more of a Delta there, which increases the value of the building. It's very predictable about what my buildings are going to be worth. I know exactly what they're going to be worth prior to me ever even buying the property because, mm -hmm. and, and it's, and I'm not, subject to market shifts as much as maybe like somebody who's, who's flipping houses is because that can shift pretty quick, pretty quickly, depending on, on seasonality even, right? Mine is all based on the income approach and how much income can the property produce? So what I'm looking at is income. How do I increase income? Exactly what you said, David, is, is renovating the units. When you renovate the units, you can attract a better tenant. You can charge more in rent, right? And um, it's more aesthetically pleasing. 
there's other amenities you can you can put in. So you can charge for storage. You can charge for parking. You can charge for covered parking. Um, there's a whole bunch of different stuff like that. Laundry income, right? Um, I've even seen other services like, um, valet trash. You put your trash out every night at 6 PM and one of the maintenance guys comes through and takes it and it's actually 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month or whatever that looks like. Um, so depending on the market, I've seen valet car service, you pull up and the valet takes your car and parks it for you, right? Wow. I've seen, yeah. um, there's, there's things that you can do for um, a, a perspective of cable and TV and internet mm. where you can um, run it. cable through the entire building mm-hmm. and sign some deal with Comcast or Time Warner or whoever and say, hey, it's going to cost 30 bucks per unit per month and the tenants would be 75. paying $75 per unit per month. Right. And you charge them 50, right? So now mm-hmm. you're able to make actually $20 per unit per month. And if you think about it here, let me, let me show you how, how impactful it is. I'm pulling on a calculator right now. Yeah. yeah, Do your thing. So if you had a hundred unit apartment building and you were able to bump the rents, not even do anything to the building. And let's say you were able to bump the rents by 15 bucks a month, which is nominal. Nobody's going to move out. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what market, if you're in a C or a D class area, nobody's moving out over that 15 bucks a month times a hundred units is $1,500 per month times 12 months is $18,000 a year. If you divide that by, let's say, uh, you know, most of the markets that I'm in, most of my, most of my properties appraise in a six and a half percent cap rate. I'm in like second to third tier markets. Okay. Okay. 15 bucks a month times hundred units times 12 months is $18,000 a year divided by a six and a half percent cap rate increases the value of my building by $275,000. Wow. For doing that something is- that nothing doesn't even change bucks. right okay so now if i add on an extra 20 dollars per month for cable service plus let's say i chart you know i'm able to bump rents uh by making some value add improvements maybe i can bump mm-hmm. by 65 dollars right all of a sudden you're talking about 85 bucks a month times 100 units times 12 months divided by 0.065 cap rate that's increasing the value by 1.57 million dollars by only adding $65 a month? Over the course of 100 units. That's how this stuff multiplies. It's wow. insane, dude. It's insane. Yeah, that, that's I've awesome. never seen anything like it. So I, I'm very, it's very predictable where I know that I can buy a building. I don't need to speculate on what it's going to be worth. I can create appreciation by increasing the income, by decreasing the expenses, and, and knowing what it's going to um, convey on the back end. So, you know, we do stuff like that to increase the income. And then from an expense standpoint, taxes, you know, if, if we can buy the property for less than the assessed value, we'll appeal the taxes. If we can shop insurance around, I mean, dude, you think about insurance, you're able to save five grand a year on insurance. Let's multiply it out. But by, by just shopping insurance and making a couple extra phone calls, uh, divided by 0.065, you're increasing the value of the building by almost $80,000. Just by shopping it, insurance. Just by shopping insurance, you know? So wow. you, start, you start adding all these things up and compounding it, it makes a big difference long-term, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You know, your maintenance, though, depending on how you renovate units, like we don't put carpet in. We put only uh, we like luxury vinyl tile, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. It wears better. You don't have to wait a day to steam clean it, to walk on it again. Um, mm-hmm. People don't put their cigarettes out in it like they do with carpet, like crazy. Um, it'll last longer than carpet does. We can turn units faster. So now all those things reduce our maintenance cost, reduce our turnover cost. It attracts a better tenant. We actually charge more in rent. So doing things like that to harden the unit um, 
uh, increase the value long-term as well. So there's a lot of stuff you can do, man, to, to increase the income, decrease the expenses and expand on, on the net operating income. Love it. So guys take that right there, increase the income, decrease the expenses. Those are two of the best ways to add value to these buildings. And it's an exponential add too, because you're, you're dividing it by the cap rate, right? So, you know, you, you increase rents $15, $20. And then once you get through that, through that, the whole building, you've increased the amount of the value of that building by 100, maybe $200,000. It's crazy. Very, very cool. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about um, the process of buying. Because whenever I go buy a single family home and I, I'm going to add it to the rental. So again, we, we do a lot of wholesaling here, but we cherry pick guys. Wholesaling is a job. We've talked about this almost on every episode. Wholesaling is the best place to start in my opinion, because it teaches you how to negotiate. It teaches you how to find the off market deals. And we all know that you can find a deal on the MLS, but it's rare, right? Your best deals are going to be off market direct to the seller. The reason I love wholesaling so much is because A, you can make quick profits, high profits quickly, but B, it allows you to cherry pick the very, very best of those deals. So when I go buy a property, I have a private lender, couple of them, that I will borrow the purchase and the rehab, assuming I'm going to add it to my rental portfolio. Um, I do the renovation. I get it rented. I go talk to my banker. He's going to give me a loan based on my appraisal. And then I'm going to refi that back and I'm going to pay back that private lender that he, of the, all the money he lent me, which was the purchase and the rehab. So how is it a little bit different or is it not at all when you're doing a hundred plus units complex at once versus me just doing a small little three bedroom, two bath house? Yeah. Are you getting, are you going to like hard money lenders? They're giving you a hundred percent of the I cost? don't use hard money. Um, private. I use private. It's, yeah, I mean, me it's too. essentially the exact same thing. Right. Um, but but you're they not going like an institutional hard money lender. You're no, I don't pay any points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you typically pay 10 or 12%. And that's and we, we actually give our private lenders the, the option. Hey, do you want to make 10 or do you want to make 12? The only catch is 12 is in the rears. It's all yeah. in the rears. Whereas we'll pay 10, but it's monthly. Pays and then that last month will be paid. The interest will be paid to pay off. Right, right, right. So how is it, how is, is, is it the same or is it different? Um, whenever you're dealing with these hundred plus units. Yeah. So, so it gets expensive if you're going to raise all the money at 10 or 12% for a, you know, a building that's worth $10 million. I'm going to be all into it for six and a half million dollars. Right. So my entire model is, uh, it's reverse engineered of exactly what you're talking about. So, um, my, my model is if the building's going to be worth $10 million, I need to be all in for 65% of the stabilized value. That'd be six and a half million. And then I back out all the expenses for renovations, holding costs, those kinds of things. So let's say that's another million dollars. So it means I have to be able to buy maximum allowable offer 5.5 million bucks. All right. So if I can get up for less than that, guess what? There's even more spread in the, in the deal. Oh, right. Right. So, so when I'm, when I'm doing that, um, let's say on this deal, I'm going to raise, I'm going to total all in cost six and a half million dollars. I'll go and get a bank loan. It's usually called a bridge loan or a construction loan or gap funding, whatever. And, uh, and I'll go and get that, that short term loan for about 80% of the cost. Okay. So okay. 80% of six and a half million, let's a little over 5 million bucks. Then I have to go and raise about $1.3 million in that scenario from my private lenders. And I, I mine's similar to what you do. I pay a 10% um, preferred rate of return. 
and while I'm going through that value add phase. Now, now mine's, you know, these are apartment buildings are a lot bigger, so they take a little bit longer. So it's usually so it's, 12 to 18 months. I was going to say, cause mine maybe take two to four months if I'm yeah. doing good. You know, if it's a long one, maybe four or five months or whatever. Yeah. Yours, yours are going to average, you said 12 to 24 or something yeah, like that? Well, about, about 12 months on average, 12 okay. maybe. Yeah, 12 to 18 to do that. And then, and then what we do is we don't sell it, we refinance it. So I'll go get a loan, a new loan, Burr method, right? Buy, right. renovate, um, rent, rent, refinance, refinance. repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we'll go in, we'll go get a 70 or maybe 75% loan to value loan and refinance it back out. And that's about a three month process once the property is stabilized. Stabilized means it's 90% occupied. So once it's 90% occupied at market rate rents, we can go and show that for the next three months and then we can refinance it. Um, that's the total seasoning period. Um, I could refinance it sooner if I stabilize the building sooner. Um, but you, for the most part, you can't take out any refi proceeds until after you've been on title for 12 months in a day. So my model is to always refinance between that 12 to 18 month time frame. make sure the building stabilized in 12 months. And then once it's stabilized, I can refinance, let's say 15, 18 months down the road. And they give me 75% of the new value. That's seven and a half million dollars. I'm only into it for six and a half. So with that six and a half, I pay off the $5 million uh, uh, bank loan. I pay off the 1.5 million that I borrowed from private money. And then there's a million dollars of refi proceeds, non-taxable. I was going to say, that's the coolest part. This is non-taxable. It's not income guys. That extra, I didn't mean to interrupt him. That extra though is a loan. It's not income. Yeah, you can deposit it in your bank account and spend it like you could any money, but it's non-taxable because it's not earned. It's on a loan. That's the best my part, part is your tenants are the ones paying it back, not you and me, right? Not you and so, me, right? So we can go take that money out at 4.5% interest because we know how to go and make a better return than that. So it makes sense to pull that out, right? Um, if you're going to be financially savvy, financially uh, competent and responsible with it. Um, I wouldn't just do that to go and buy a bunch of, no, not at all abilities. Right. But But, if you do that, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, right. But if you do that, you know, one or two times, now you have the the seed capital for your 20% to go do it again. And then you don't need to necessarily go ask investors to put up your 20% for that preferred rate of return, mm-hmm. you know, unless that's, you know, and, and if you're really savvy, you'll make more money doing it elsewhere and you continue to do that. But you now have the ability to do that. Or I would think in some scenarios, investors are going to say, how much of how much skin are, do you have in the game? And if you yeah. say, oh, I'm putting in a hundred or 200 grand of my own and you're going to give me 300 grand, it's going to appease them to feel a little bit more comfortable that it's not just their skin in the game. It's yeah. some of yours too. That's, that's a, and I get that question once in a while. Um, one, I have a track record, right? So I don't really need to, like I can show sure. people a track record, but even early on, man, like technically I do have skin in the game of investing all my time and signing on this acquisition loan. Cause a lot of times the acquisition loan is personally, I'm personally responsible for it. Once the property stabilized and you refinance it, then it's a non-recourse loan, which means I'm not personally guaranteeing it. The only recourse against that loan that the lender has is taking the property back itself. They can't come after me. Now there's some, there's some, uh, they call them bad boy carve outs. If you lie, cheat, steal, if you're oh, fraudulent, grossly negligent, yeah. they can come after you. But otherwise, but if you man, do it by the, do it right ethically and you know, yeah, yeah. like you should, then, then dude, guess what? And, and you don't have the, the liability. Yeah, that's gone. That's really, yeah. really cool. So what, so let me ask you the difference. Whenever you go get the loan originally, 
How is that different than the second loan? Now, I, I get that the second loan, you're, you're paying back lenders. It's, it's a refi versus a purchase. Mm-hmm. Can you not get the, the, you know, a, a loan in the beginning without, without some skin in the game, whereas in the end, you've increased values. Your skin has been built in. Like you, you're using right. added so- value, your you know, equity that was gained. In the beginning, I guess you just don't have that, and that's the why you would need to put money down. Or is there yeah, scenarios and, where you don't? And it's just not a stabilized property, right? So right. If if it's so, they know that they know that you're buying something that needs to be stabilized, and that's why you're coming to them. Yeah. So if Got it's it. there's certain there's different kinds of lenders, and the most conservative lenders, uh, the agency loan lenders, that's that's insurance companies, CMBS, which is commercial mortgage backed securities, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Those lenders will only lend on things that are maybe 85 to 90% occupied or better. Okay. Okay. If you get under 85% occupancy. And those are the ones that are used, that are, that are giving you the non-recourse loans, right? Yes. On the refi. Right. Got it. it. Um, If it's, if it's under 85%, let's say down to about 60%, you can usually go to a local bank or or a regional bank or um, there's a couple of debt funds and stuff that are out there, meaning just, you know, a hedge fund or a real estate trust that does hard money lending on this kind of stuff. And you're going to be paying just a higher interest rate because it's perceived more risk because it's a lower occupancy and it's, there's some work that needs to be done. Um, if you get under like 50, 60% occupancy, there's not a lot of shops in town or across the country that will fund that without seeing a significant um, track record on your part as the operator. Um, and they want some money, some skin of the game, or they want it at such a low cost basis that that's the only way that they'll do it. Fortunately, I have that track record and I have a, I have. Uh, been able to do that over and over and over again. So it's pretty easy for me to find up uh, financing on that stuff, but it's really, really tough if you're just new into that space. But really the sweet spot somewhere in that 60 to 80% occupancy range where a lot of lenders will see the long-term value, like the stabilized value of, of what it could be um, without taking on all the risk of having something that's 20% occupied that could be broken into and it's nothing but a headache, right? So, right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're going, usually it's a short term loan, two or three years max on the acquisition loan. It's a recourse loan that I'm personally signing for. My investors bring in the money. I create appreciation via the sweat equity that I put into these properties. I don't just speculate on it like a lot of people do. Right. Uh, you see a lot of these syndicators out there, dude, they're buying a $10 million building for 10 million bucks and hoping that the value goes up by 5% over the next five years. And then at that time they can sell it. One, that's a job you know, it's a high paying job. You're just, uh, you got to go do it again and make money again. And two, dude, speculation. That's why everybody got their ass handed to them. 10 right. Years ago. Dude, cause they all but speculate that they thought they could buy here and tomorrow would be worth this much when it wasn't. And values came down like, dude, they, they, they lost everything. So, uh, my entire business model is based off of what I saw go down 10 years ago. Right. Um, so it's buying for cash flow, not appreciation. It's buying at wholesale prices, not retail prices, right? It's, um, it's doing all these things, putting non-recourse debt on, on your loans instead of recourse debt. Um, a lot of fixed interest rates instead of variable interest rates. You know, it's a lot of those kinds of things that I mitigate. How long are the risk. terms, Tim? Are you, are you doing like 20, 25, 30? I mean, I, yes. I, I got a friend in town here that does FHA uh, commercial. So like multifamily commercial. And he does FHA 40-year loans, non-recourse. So, so those, are, those are a total pain in the ass to get, but they're they out. They are. 
right? Right. It, it'll take six to 12 months just to get that loan. Oh yeah, if not more, right, and, right. And it usually only works, I mean, it works best for like development projects because a lot of Yeah, they're big. That. Yeah, he's not typically doing the 100 units. They're, they're like 600 units plus, they're yeah. big. And, and, they're, yeah. and they're, he's probably building them, right? They are, he isn't, but yeah, yeah they are. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's common because just the, um, you know, the process of getting all the, all the approvals and permitting and um, all those things in place for a development is going to take you six months at least anyways. Right. So right. it makes sense to kind of run both of those on a parallel path. When you're buying an existing building, a seller's not going to wait six, 12 months for you. To no, no, I get it. So tell um, me about some of the loans that you get in terms of like now on the refi, right? On the refi. So, so on the what, refi, what's the term, the what's the rate, spot. so on and so forth. Yeah. The sweet spot right now is in that 10 to 12 year term. Uh, okay. You can get, you can get shorter terms. Uh, the thing is like, dude, I don't like shorter terms cause you don't know where the market's going to be in five years. Right. Um, we could have a different president. We could have two different presidents over the next five years, actually. Right. Mm -hmm. We have three presidents in the next five year period. Um, so who knows? We could be in an economic war with somebody. We can get, in, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, anything, we could run out of war, war international, anything. foreign trade right. war, like whatever it could be, whatever. Right. right. There's a lot of now, when you say term though, are you talking about, the fixed amount of time that you'd have a rate, or are you talking about the amortization table? Or no, I'm talking about the talking fixed about amount of time that you have that, that you have the loan before it balloons. Before it balloons, okay. Right. So when so I do mine, again, they're not non-recourse; they're recourse loans. I'm personally guaranteeing them, but I I shoot for a 20 year amort with a three to five year term, but it renews for like 50 bucks. Like it's so cheap. So okay. yours aren't. I guess whenever you shift from the recourse to the non-recourse world it doesn't work that way anymore. I'm assuming yeah, so, they don't so know any balloon versus renew. Yeah. So, so some of my short term acquisition loans will turn into a long term loan. Okay. Once cool. it's stabilized. Convert. I could do that with yeah. some lenders. It's not always the best terms for me sure. on the acquisition and on the refi though. So I usually use two different lenders. Um, at the time of the refi, I usually go to one of the agency. So a life insurance company, CMBS, Fannie, Freddie, and they'll appraise it. Comes in at 10 million bucks, they'll give me 75% LTV. It's usually a 30-year amortization um, with, a, with a 10 to 12-year term on it. At the end of the 10 or 12 years, I can either re-up with that same lender or I can refinance with a different lender or I can sell the property or I can figure out what I want to do at that time, right? Um, I'm going to let future Tim make that decision. I don't know yeah, where the market's no, going to sure, be. Sure, I don't know what's sense. going on. But, but my thing with that is, even if you bought in 2006 at the peak of the last market, if you went at least 10 years going through the worst recession we've ever been through, by, the, by 10 years later, the market came back and it was even better than it it's was. higher than it was before, right? So, it dipped, so, but it came back up and it exceeded where it was, correct? So because my investors are all paid off, I don't need to get them their money back. So I can sit on this thing a longer term. Would I get a 15, I could get a 15 year long term but the interest rate starts popping. So the right. sweet spot right so now. So your sweet spot's 10 to 12 with the 10 to 12 years. 30 four, year Amort. Dude, I just closed uh, four, 500 units um, in August. And my loan amount, my loan was 3.88, I want to say. Something mm -hmm. stupid. Long term, fixed interest rate, you know, 10 years, like insane. Um, and, and the stuff that I'm closing now, interest rates have gone up a little bit, but I'm still in that, in that 4, 4.1, 4.2 range um, when I refinance a lot of my properties. That's fixed for 10 years. They usually give me a couple of years of interest only as well. And it's amortized over 30 years. So my, my payments are pretty minimal and I have a lot of cash flow as well. 
Now, if I decide, hey, this is an A plus location, something I want to hold long term, I can pay down that principal faster by making a couple extra payments per year and still pay it off in 15 or 20 years if I wanted to. Thing is, is I don't want to be responsible for covering a big nut every single month in case the market does shift and I need to be a little bit more liquid with my cash flow. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. Absolutely. So, so that's why I push out the term as far or the, the amortization as far as possible. I do a loan term right in that sweet spot of 10 to 12 years. I only do fixed interest rates. Um, a lot of the, my bridge loan stuff and the short term stuff is variable, but interest rates are so low. I'm not too worried about it. It's only a short term thing anyways. Um, and so, uh, um, yeah, that's, and that's non-recourse loans. So I can sit on it. My investors are all paid back. I'm hanging out. And by the way, one of the things I didn't mention is like, I make it so sexy for my investors that I pay them the 10% return and I still give them usually 10 to 20% equity in, in, in uh, perpetuity, even after they've gotten their even money Even after they've gotten all their money back, they still have, now so do now they, they have risk? The refi proceeds. Now they get a chunk of the refi proceeds. Now they get a chunk of the cash flow. They get the depreciation and the principal pay down uh, and the equity that's still in the property. And so here's why I would do that. Cause I don't have to do that. Right. Why would I do that? The reason is because as soon as I give, I give them their money back, dude, there's so much loyalty there. We're, we're long-term yeah, they're, partners. They're now. basically like, hey, here, use it again, dude, bro. Use it again. I, I tried giving one of my investors money back last week. <laughs> did not take it back. They're like, He's no, like, dude, no, I'm not giving you my wire info. You got to put it into another deal. Go, go and roll it. Just send me the paperwork. You know? That's awesome. It's insane, dude. And, and, you know, dude, like this business is all about finding deals and finding money. You do those two things, doesn't matter what's going on with the market, doesn't matter what's going on with the economy, you can do real estate deals. If you can find deals and find money. So if the money's taken care of, now all I gotta focus on is finding deals, right? Love it, love it. Guys, you heard it direct from the man himself, Mr. Tim, I'm gonna screw up your last name, Bratz, I say it right? Yeah, man, you got it, man. Bratz, Tim Bratz. Tim, I appreciate you coming on the show today. You dropped a ton of gold nuggets, man. I have been doing real estate 14 years. I learned a couple things today. So this has been amazing. Guys, I started following Tim on social media. It's it's probably been every bit of three, maybe four months ago. I'd highly recommend you guys check Tim out. Tim also has um, speaking engagements or seminars. Um, and I believe they're called Commercial Empire. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, man, I'm I'm an operator, right? But because right. I I have a lot of people hitting me up wanting to do deals or wanting to like, you know, they're like, hey, would you mentor? Do you coach? I partner up with an education company. I show up. I do four events a year. People yeah. are asking me all the time, Dave. How all do you time, wholesale man. houses? Hey, I right? got a book. It just makes it easier. So you guys have an education product too. Tim, tell us a little bit about it real quick. I'm so yeah, curious. It, I've seen the social media highlight reels and the clips. I'm I think sure you Dol- have. I think you work with Dolmar. And he's yeah. always pumping out some stuff. And I'm like, man, you guys are dude. doing great. So I, uh, I'm interested to hear more. Tell us a little bit yeah. more about it. Robert. So it's called Commercial Empire. I partnered up with some people, the best in the industry, in the education realm. And these guys, um, they take off all the heavy lifting from the education side. I can go back to being a, like an operator and running my business. And I, um, and I come in and I teach people how to go out and buy apartment buildings, how to scale up from residential into apartments and build that long-term legacy wealth that I think a lot of people got into real estate for, you know, it's that passive income, that residual income instead of, instead of the transactional stuff. Right. And so, um, dude, we go over everything, how to, how to raise money, how to, how to find, how deals. long are the events? Is it a two day event, three day event? Three days. Three days event. That's a lot yeah. of event, man. That is dude, it's a, and so it's you all guys content. There's no sales. Finish. We like, we have, we have a mastermind and that's sure. invite only. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
but like there's no upsell. There's nothing, there's nothing goofy like that going on. It is just pure content, dude. How to find deals, how to fund them, how to raise private money, how to get the financing, how to close it, how to do all the due diligence, um, what the value add plan looks like, the construction process, managing the management company, asset management long-term, what the refi looks like, how to build a business, how to build out your team, um, like literally everything, dude. It's not for the, the newbie who's never done this before. It's for somebody who's, who's doing deals and they're looking to just scale it's up. Basically right? for somebody like me that I already own 53 rentals, so I know yep. the business quite well. We do eight to 10 wholesales a month. I got five or six flips going. So it's, if you are like we myself have, and you want to- amazing people that come out to this thing. Yeah, people and you want to pivot it. into doing more of the commercial stuff, man. So Tim, what's the website? It's commercialempire.com. And you know, my, my goal with it is there's a lot of people like you, David, who come out and they're like, dude, I know how to go out and find the deals. You know, what I need some help with is maybe raising the money or structuring it or just kind of like, dude, help me out. Cause I don't want to like get my ass handed to me on the first deal. Yeah, right? of course. So, of course. So they'll call me up and say, Hey Tim, can you help sponsor the loan? Can you help raise the money? Can we JV on something? And it gets you into a deal that maybe you couldn't have gotten into before. And it gets me into a deal that, dude, I don't need 100% of a grape. I want a quarter of a watermelon, right? Right. Me There's too. There's a lot more juice in the squeeze. And you being able to do what you're really good at allows me to do what I'm really good at and what I like to do. And you do what you like to do. And all of a sudden, dude, one plus one equals three in that scenario. And so it gets me into more deals. Uh, we raise a lot of private money. We partner up with a lot of, a lot of, a lot of students. And, um, we help build a lot of wealth together, dude. The the reviews are off the charts, and the um and the results, student results are off the charts too. So something we're yeah, really I've been, proud of. I've been and following been you guys for in. a while, man, and you guys are you guys are doing really cool things. So Commercial Empire is it dot com? Commercial Empire dot com, yep. Commercial Empire dot com, guys, check it out. I have personally not been to one of these events, but I'm excited to come to one soon. They look amazing. You guys have, you guys fill up a room with people. Three yeah, we'll have days, about 150, 200 people there. Three days is a lot of content, but that's awesome, guys. You're going to get a lot of value out of these events. So mm -hmm. definitely check that out. And then, of course, go follow Tim on social media. He's always dropping gold nuggets about what he's doing. I love how when you're out in the field at a property, you'll pull out your phone and make a quick little video and point yeah. out things in there. And I'll tell you right now, I, am, uh, I love seeing you online. Because you're always providing value. So thank you for that. Appreciate very, it. very cool. Tim, I thanks again for you, coming man. on the show today. We appreciate it. Guys, don't forget, if you want to learn more about Tim, go to commercialempire.com. How often do you have the events, Tim? Is it like quarterly or? Yeah, just once a quarter. Once a quarter. So he's got four, four events a year. Do they, do they move around the country at all or is it always in the same spot? Yeah, we're usually between Cleveland, Ohio, Tampa, Florida, and I have a house in Charleston. So we're going to start doing some events there too. I cool. might, so I might got a couple West options. Coast one, but I'm not sure yet. So Sure, sure. Uh, we're working well, on Well, guys, thanks. I want to thank Tim personally again for coming on. Tim, it's been great. Don't forget, check out commercialempire.com for the next event that may be in your area. If not, come check them out either way. Tim, thanks again for coming on. Until next time, you, guys. Thank, thank you for all the value you provide, man. You're doing a rock star Absolutely. job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you. Yeah, guys, don't forget. You buy, you make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell. Until next time, signing off. Thanks for listening to the Discount Property Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like share and subscribe to help us reach a wider audience. 
To jumpstart your real estate investing career, please visit freewholesalecourse.com, the most complete free course on wholesaling real estate ever. We would also appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you in advance for your support. And remember, you make your money when you buy and you get paid when you sell. Now let's go build some wealth.